0: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited this morning to have my wife, Emily, with me up here, sharing in the mess. Give her a round of applause. Isn't that? Yeah. You deserve it. You deserve it. Uh, we're excited to start off a new sermon series called, It's Complicated, where we're going to be looking at relationships of all different types because all different types of relationships can be Complicated. And one one example that comes to my mind is a boss I used to have. We had a bit of a complicated relationship. Uh, this boss was a great, great mentor, taught me a lot of great things. But when the boss would walk down the hallway, fear would always rise up in me. Because I didn't know if I was going to get yelled at when the boss walked to my office. I didn't know if they were going to say, hey, everything you've been working on the last 48 hours is... Uh, trash we're moving in a new direction or I didn't know if they were going to say hey here's a Starbucks and we were giving you a raise right I didn't know emotionally what was going to happen because it, it was a bit of a complicated relationship
1: for me one that I think of is this classmate I had in grad school it was a friend of mine who would sit next to me in lectures like you know something I'm going to be tested on just loudly eating from a full box of Cap'n
0: Crunch mm. Nice.
1: And we were friends, but this annoyed me, right? Anyone have complicated relationships in this room? I bet we could go around. Not, and many, read, of hear Not many of you. Your stories. <laughs> about classmates, coworkers, extended family members with habits just that just get on your nerves.
0: Yeah, and in my work as a pastor and Emily's work as a counselor, we know that sometimes it's small things like uh, cap and crunch, and people smacking their lips, and habits, and annoyances that lead to complications in relationships. But sometimes it's it's bigger things. It's things like uh, abuse or abandonment or uh, addiction that can lead to very complicated relationships. And the truth is, is that relationships can move from healthy to unhealthy and complicated in one interaction. And they can also move from unhealthy and complicated to healthy as well because they're not static. And so our hope in this series is is that uh, we will be able to give you some tools, some practical advice for your relationships to be transformed for the better and maybe move from life draining to life giving.
1: And, you know, I could cite the research about how important relationships are to our experience as human beings, I could quote poetry and love songs, but the truth is you already know how much relationships matter. Some of you in this room are at peace in your heart and in your lives right now because your relationships are healthy, they're in a good place. Others of you know how important relationships are because of a relationship you don't have, a relationship that's been broken Others of you know important know how important relationships are because you've been hurt and you can feel how much it affects your sense of peace.
0: Yeah. And as we prepare today, uh, I want to say I'm grateful for Clay Scroggins at North Point Church who introduced a lot of these concepts, big ideas, some of the illustrations to us. Um, and I uh, also want to say I'm very grateful that we're able to have this series because I'd actually planned to do the sermon series right before COVID hit. And then, like everything, it, it went out the window. But I think now might actually be a better time to have this series about complicated relationships. Because if, if your life is anything like mine, over the last 18 months or so, a lot of my relationships have gotten more complicated over time. And so, I'm excited to, to dig into this together. And when we think about complicated relationships and, and wisdom and advice, I thought, you know what, who better... Uh, to give advice than someone who knew a lot about complicated relationships in the Bible. And that person is the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about Paul's story, uh, you know that early on in his life, he was uh, a Jewish Pharisee and he oversaw the persecution of Christians. He wanted the church destroyed. He he didn't want people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah to be spreading that message anywhere. And And then one day, He had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and his life was transformed. His life was really transformed in a a moment and in the process of a few days. And he went from being someone who wanted to persecute Christians and destroy the church to being someone who repented, believed and became a church planter and began sharing the gospel all over the world. And so you can imagine things were complicated for Paul in those early days because he showed up at church and everybody at church is like, wait a second. You're the guy who's been trying to destroy us. You're not welcome here. Like, we're afraid of you. We don't want anything to do with you. So that was a bit complicated. And then on the other side, he had these people that he had grown up with, he had studied with, he had persecuted the church with. And they're like, wait a second, Paul, you switch teams now. You're not with us anymore. And so then there were conspiracies against his life to try and kill him and destroy him and his ministry. And so Paul knew what it was like in in many different areas of his life to have complicated relationships with other people. And then in his ministry of planning churches and helping them grow, he knew about complicated relationships as well. Because one of the things he discovered, and I don't know if you've ever discovered this yet, is that in the church, full of people who love Jesus together, there can be complicated relationships. Did you know that? Some of you. There can be complicated relationships. Paul Paul discovered that. He discovered that even though Jesus Christ was bringing people together, there was a lot of times still room for growth, still room for transformation in their relationships with one another. And so a lot of his letters to these churches are dedicated to helping them love one another better. And one of his letters he wrote was the letter to the Romans, to the church in Rome. And there he gave them a, a piece of advice, a piece of wisdom that I wanna share with you this morning. That's really gonna be kind of our, our key verse Um, in today's message. So we're going to put it up on the screen here. And this passage is from Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And um, Gail, if you could click it up there. Here's what it says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay? Okay. If you have a Bible, I want you to write that down. If you, if, you, if you want to memorize scripture, this is a good verse to memorize. And I want you to read it with me together, okay? Will you read it with me? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone.
1: So let's break this down piece by piece. So first we have live at peace go back yeah live at peace with everyone and if the verse just started and stopped there this sounds like a pipe dream right we know that we live in a broken world you can open social media or turn on the news and see just how not at peace the world is right but God has called us to work for peace in our relationships and in the world if it is possible And in my work, I have seen sometimes how this is not possible. I counsel children a lot of times, and sometimes one parent is committed to pursuing peace and the other is committed to conflict or maybe an adult abuser is unrepentant and unsafe for a child to be around. And neither Paul nor Jesus nor I, I want you to hear this clearly, is advocating that you forfeit your safety in the name of being close to someone. Healthy boundaries are a key piece of having healthy relationships in your lives. However, the pursuit of peace is a worthwhile goal And it's something that God calls us to, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And we are often so focused on trying to fix other people. Uh, If you're anything like me, maybe you're thinking in your seat right now, "Uh, yeah, if I I need to send this message to somebody, (laughs) how can I not passive-aggressively just, like, send a podcast link, (laughs) right? But Paul here is pointing us back to who we ultimately have responsibility for, and that's ourselves. As hard as you try, you cannot change another person's behavior or change their attitude. And so with this verse in mind, I think we have to be honest with ourselves about our complicated relationships. And One way to think about it visually is if you picture the relationship or the conflict as a circle, ask yourself, what's my piece of the pie? And in order to evaluate this honestly, a helpful question is, what might the other person say is my piece of the pie? How at fault would they say I am in this situation? And in reality, you may be responsible for a very small portion of the conflict or you may be responsible for a larger piece than you're comfortable with admitting. But whatever the size of your piece, the key here is taking accountability for whatever piece of the pie you have. Because it's in taking accountability for our responsibilities that we can end this game of tug of war between I said this, you did that, and when we take accountability for our piece of it, it's like dropping the rope in that, in that game of tug-of-war in a relationship. And can I just pause to tell you how good your pastor is at this? I'm about to embarrass him real quick. So as we've said, the last couple years have been stressful, right? But Jonathan is the most engaged father. He's a wonderful partner. He, I'm about to make some people mad, does like 99.9% of the cleaning in our house.
0: That is true. That's true.
1: And... And he still manages to faithfully lead a church and preach the gospel every week. And he is one of the hardest working people I know, truly. And so when I get stressed out, do you know what I do? I pick a fight with him about how he needs to wipe the bowls out before putting them in the dishwasher. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, you monster. Your husband is washing dishes and you have the audacity to complain about how he's doing it. And the other group of you are saying, you really do need to wipe that oatmeal out before he dries in there, right? It gets messy. And to that group of people, I say, one, thank you for your support. And two, he could have said, I've been at work all day. I've cleaned the kitchen, I did the laundry, I took out the trash, wipe out your own bowl. But do you know what he said instead? I'm sorry, I'll wash it. (laughs) I know. And in that moment, I couldn't be mad at him, right? Because he took accountability for his small piece of the pie. And it was like he dropped the rope of that conflict and worked to make it better.
0: And obviously that's a very small conflict and uh, wiping the bowl isn't that hard of a step to take. And sometimes in our relationships, it is that small. The, the, the step of owning our piece of the pie is small. Sometimes it's a lot bigger. Um, but what we want to do in this series, like we mentioned, is give you some, some practical ways that you can pursue peace in your complicated relationships. Whether it's with your spouse, a coworker, a student in your class, or, or whoever. And so um, we want to share with you two practical things you can do to pursue peace in your relationships this morning. And the, the first one I want to talk with you about is something that, honestly, a lot of times we kind of skip over. We think, you know what, it might not really make much of a difference in the relationship. Or we think this is just kind of like the Sunday school answer when it comes to church. And so I want to say this morning, actually, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is this, is to pray, is to pray. And I heard somebody once say this, and I love this line, prayer isn't the only thing we do, but prayer is the first thing that we need to do. And so I think when it comes to complicated relationships in our lives, rather than just skipping over this and trying to do solutions on our own, I think we need to bring the situation before God in prayer. And this is something that Jesus, who is also known as the Prince of Peace, actually commands us to do. You might remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we touched on it this summer a little bit, but there Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this word persecute here, it means something like those who harass you, those who hound you those who come against you or hostile or treat you bad in any way. Here Jesus is saying pray for those that you're in relationship with, especially complicated ones. And so I wanna, I wanna encourage you, you know what? In your relationship with others, pray for that person and, and don't pray, You know, hey God, would you just destroy them and smite them in this instant like you might be tempted to do? But, but pray, God, would you, would you bless them? Would you lead them to repentance? Would you open their eyes to their piece of the pie? Would you transform them? Would you give them peace? Would you give them your grace? Would you help them know your love better? So pray for that person, but then also pray for the relationship. Scripture tells us with God, all things are possible. And So, so say, God, would would your spirit that empowers reconciliation transform this relationship? And then I would say also pray for yourself. Pray for your. Self. pray that god would give you peace and you perspective and here's what i've what i've learned uh, after a while of praying about different complicated situations usually my prayers have been like god would you just instantly change this other person so that way when we interact again everything's better i don't like conflict much like any of you right i'm like god would you just change them instantly but instead the way god usually answers my prayers is rather than changing that person instantly god changes me God first changes me, and as I begin praying about these situations like Jesus calls us to do, I begin to get peace. I begin to get a little more perspective. And and sometimes I'll just say, Holy Spirit, would you help me know the next thing I need to do? And the Spirit will guide me. And I believe the Spirit will guide you in these relationships. And so what I want you to do this morning, um, because I believe the Holy Spirit is active and working in our midst, i I want you to, to think and maybe even pray, God, who, who is this message for in my life? Who, who, who is my complicated relationship? I want you to think about one complicated relationship right now that you have. And I want you this week to commit to praying for that relationship. Praying for that person and praying for yourself. You might have 10, but I want you to just think about one right now that you could apply Paul and Jesus' words to.
1: And with that person in mind, I want to share the second thing that we can do to pursue peace in our relationships. And this isn't something that even requires participation from the other person. It just requires some internal work for you. And that is to empathize with the person. And empathy, broadly speaking, means to understand another person's perspective. And there's a psychologist named Jamil Zaki who um, studies and teaches about empathy at Stanford University. And he breaks empathy down into three categories. And the first is what he calls cognitive empathy, which is trying to figure out why the person is feeling what they're feeling or why they've done what they've done. And this is hard, especially if you're mad for a good reason. And maybe in your mind, the things that this other person has done don't make any sense. It's totally illogical. But is it possible that their behavior has a logical explanation to them? In psychology, there's this principle that all behavior is goal-directed. In other words, that everything we do, we do for a reason might not be a good reason, it might not be a moral reason, we might not even know what the reason is, but there is a reason. And so Zaki says that true empathy is understanding that someone else's world is just as real as yours. Don't you love it when secular research like discovers the truth of God's word? Like Paul says this, do not claim to be wiser than you are. In other words, a key component of empathy is understanding and accepting that we don't know everything. You know, what was childhood like for your enemy? Did they have people in their life who modeled empathy and kindness for them? Have they known what healthy relationships look like? Were they just cut off in traffic or their wife given a difficult diagnosis? We don't know. And so what if we were able to assume the best in others and give them the benefit of the doubt? What if we were more curious and less judgmental? That's cognitive empathy. And the second kind of empathy is uh, emotional empathy. And this is literally feeling with someone. And this is what Paul tells us to do in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, And weep with those who are weeping. And this is once we sort of understand that there is a reason for people doing what they do or feeling what they feel, even if we don't know what the reason is, that empathy can move from our head to our heart. And one thing I do if I'm struggling with that journey from moving empathy from my head to my heart is praying that God will remind me that he created that person in his image and that he loves that person and wants a relationship with that person just as much as he loves me, because that's the truth. And so when we begin to see people as people, people with their own stories, people divinely created in the image of God, people with their own gifts and strengths and their own limitations, we can stop seeing people as problems or obstacles, and we, be, we can begin to feel with them and weep with, for the things that make them weep. My first job out of college was uh, working at a crisis shelter for homeless youth. And as excited as I was to get in there and serve and minister to these folks, I confess to you this morning that when I saw homeless youth on the street, I made some judgments about them. I assumed I knew maybe that they had criminal records, that they had an addiction history, or at the very least that they would try to take advantage of me if I went out of my way to try to help them. And part of my job as a case manager was to get what they call a biopsychosocial history, which is a fancy word for meeting with these kids and hearing their stories, particularly for the factors that led them to come stay with us in the shelter. And I remember my very first meeting with my very first client. She walked in, looked like she hadn't bathed in a long time. I made some assumptions about what her family background must be, what her education level must be. And I felt sorry for her. But then Throughout the course of our first meeting, God turned all my assumptions upside down. And I heard her story, and I heard the details of the circumstances that led her to come and stay with us, and it broke my heart. And I moved from sympathy, that is just feeling sorry for her, to getting down there in the pit with her and feeling with her. And I was so emotionally invested that in this meeting she told me she had a job interview at Wendy's the next morning, and I stayed up until 2.30 in the morning praying for her. And I'm happy to report that I think I have better boundaries now, but that is how emotionally invested I was in this girl. I was able to weep with her when she was weeping. And then, when she got a job a couple weeks later, you better believe I was rejoicing. And feeling with people is a key component of empathy. But the end goal of empathy isn't just understanding people's background or feeling with them. It's what Zaki in his research calls compassion or empathic concern. And that is taking what you know and what you feel and then it moves you to action to work for the good of the other person. Praying for them. Paul says in this passage to feed them if they're hungry, to give them something to drink if they're thirsty. This is taking the high road instead of being dragged down to our basis desires for holding grudges and revenge. And if that sounds really hard, it's because it is. I want to be honest this morning. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do things that you could never do on your own strength. And God has given us a perfect model in the person of Jesus for empathy and compassion.
0: Yeah, because the the two things we're encouraging you to do this morning are actually two things that that God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. You see, when God created the world and then saw how we abused our our freedom and we're we're sinning against him and other people and leading to everything to be very complicated, God wasn't content to love us from a distance. Instead, God came near. God entered in our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so John chapter 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus in his life, he experienced the the joys of life and the sorrows of life. And in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, we read this. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. You see, we have a God who humbled himself and became a human. And so he knows what it's like for us. He knows our perspective. He knows what you're going through. He knows about your relationships. And when we humble ourselves and we begin to enter into other people's worlds, like Emily was talking about, through through empathy and understanding their perspective and and, and trying to become more curious and less judgmental, then we're actually mirroring what God has done for us to other people. And when when Jesus walked walked the earth throughout his public ministry, there's there's one phrase that comes up over and over again in the Gospels, and that is this, that Jesus had compassion for people. He had compassion for the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for a woman whose son had recently died. Jesus had compassion for people who had physical ailments and were in, in need of healing and wholeness. And, and in the Greek, that word compassion, it means To be moved, literally, to be moved in the inward parts. To be moved in the inward parts. And so Jesus felt for people. He felt with people. And Jesus' compassion led him to action. To healing people. To weeping with people. To grieving with, with people. And helping meet their deepest needs physically and spiritually. And then when Jesus did the greatest act of compassion for each and every one of us, and everyone we're in a complicated relationship with, when Jesus laid down his very life on the cross, he prayed. He prayed for his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that prayer was a prayer for the Roman soldiers who were standing right in front of him, and they didn't really know that they were, they were killing the Savior of the world in that moment, the Messiah. But I think that prayer wasn't just Jesus's prayer for those people. I also think it's Jesus's prayer for us today. Because I think Jesus continues to intercede for us and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We don't always know what we're doing in our relationship with God when we're sinning against them. And Jesus says, God, would you forgive them? We don't always know what we're doing and our complicated relationships, and a lot of times we mess up, we screw things up, and we need God's forgiveness. We need guidance. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to live and to have transformed relationships. And so Jesus' prayer is for us as well, because he desires for us to have relationships that are characterized by peace with other people. And so, uh, this morning, as we kind of begin the series on complicated relationships, and in the message time this morning, we want to we want to invite you into a just a moment of prayer, a moment of prayer, to pray for that person that you were thinking about earlier. Pray for someone you have a complicated relationship with. Pray for that relationship itself, and then we also want to invite you to pray for your own heart. Pray for God to transform you. Pray for perspective so that you can understand your piece of the pie and how you've contributed to the challenges and how you can make a difference because peace is not only possible, peace is God's desired future for our life and for our relationships. And so this morning, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. And we're just going to have a moment of silence and and then in just a few moments, Emily is going to say a closing prayer for us and then we're going to sing our closing song and even during that song if you want to continue in prayer we invite you to come down front or remain seated and pray and so um lord jesus here we are and in these moments we bring our relationships our complicated relationships before you
1: God, we confess that we do not love perfectly, that our relationships are complicated, they're messy. We ask for your blessing upon us, upon our, our friends, our family, our coworkers, whoever, whoever we're bringing before you now, God. We say their name silently before you now. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace towards us. We sometimes hear hear these messages or feel a prompting from your spirit, God, and feel empowered to do the work of peacemaking in our lives and in this world. And then we run into complications. And we know that in this world we will have trouble, God, but we take heart for you have overcome the world. And so, when we encounter complications, when we encounter difficult people, God, would you give us grace to try again? God, you are the well that never runs dry. Help us to continually come to you, and would you renew us with your grace and your Holy Spirit's power to help us to have peace in our hearts, in our relationships and to be peacemakers in the world. In your name we pray, amen.